Welcome, you're now listening to episode 114 from The Shed End. I hope you're all doing well this Tuesday afternoon. Theo, how are you doing? Not bad, yeah. Like I was just saying, um, this one week transition period between two different jobs, um, enjoying the not having any work responsibilities. Woke up this morning, not needing to look at any emails, which is always nice. Um, I want to say looking forward to the game tomorrow, but nowadays in Chelsea, it just feels more like a, a dreaded task when you have to look forward to a game or going to have to watch it but nevertheless I'm still going to watch it still going to say I'm going to look forward to it and looking forward to the week ahead how are you doing yeah I'm good surprisingly I didn't watch Chelsea this weekend um so as you already know but it kind of set me up really well for yesterday I wasn't really I was annoyed but I wasn't as annoyed I think had I sat through the 90 minutes of that game and put myself through that misery um, against Wolves, which we'll talk about shortly. But um, before we do that, make sure you please go and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you like this video, hit the link tree link in the description as well. That will take you to all the social accounts and our previous podcast episodes. So again, appreciate all of that if you have done so already. But Theo, you watched the Wolves game, painfully used there. Um, give us your thoughts, your analysis of the game and, and was it as bad as the scoreline reflected? Yeah, it was it was bad. Let's not kind of um try to sugarcoat anything. It was it was bad. Um I thought we started off quite poorly. In fact, there were a couple of misplaced passes in midfield that almost led to Wolves goals. And I thought we were fortunate not to concede from those um sort of chances. Um then um we managed to break deadlock ourselves, which was kind of going against the run of player thoughts. Um brilliant pass from Moises Caicedo to Cole Palmer, yeah. um, who then um does what he's he does best this season and slots it calmly into the back of the net. Um, and I thought, okay, maybe now this is going to kind of change the tempo of the game. We're going to be on the upper hand and hopefully we can win this game. And then I think there was maybe two minutes between the goals. Um, but then Wolves scored from a deflection. Um, I think Cunha, it was Cunha deflected off Thiago Silva and it went in. Um, and then right before half time, eight Nori, I believe, scores from another deflected, almost carbon copy style goal from this time, a big, big deflection of the Sassi that goes in. Um, I like to highlight both goals. Obviously, Caicedo, I think he was still celebrating his assist because he was fast asleep for the for the first goal. He gives possession away way too cheaply. Um, and he, I think when we signed him, we thought he'd be this new kind of Kante replacement, this type of player, that box-to-box midfielder that can cover a lot of ground, work really well with the ball in tight spaces, but he's proving to be the complete opposite he seems quite nervous when he's on the ball sure he got that fantastic assist but that's not something we've seen in his locker um, so far this season um, and actually something I feel like is a big problem we've had this season is our midfield just aren't assisting enough for our for our, our offensive players so there's not enough link up play between the midfield and the offensive players and then I thought the wing backs or the wing backs the full backs were very poor on the day Chilwell and Gusto um, obviously Gusto giving away the penalty in the second half it was just very clumsy I think there was a lot of frustration in that to um, and Chilwell as well. I think it was for the second goal, the eight Nori one, fast asleep at left back. He lets, I think it's Pedro Neto get past him way too easily. And I'd like to highlight Pedro Neto because he was fantastic and he would walk into our team right now. Honestly, given how Paul Sterling, Madueke, Mudrik mm. um, and the others have been, Pedro Neto would walk into this Chelsea team. Um, and then second half, it was just awful. I've never seen Stamford Bridge empty so quickly for the last maybe 15 minutes or so. Um, I would say about half the stadium was empty. And Pochettino said at full time, he thanked the fans that stayed until the end. Um, but it was just, I don't blame the fans who left early. I really don't blame them, especially when it was 10 minutes of added time and we're 4-2 down. I kind of, a few people started clapping when the ref gave 10 minutes of added time. And I kind of turned around and said, why are you guys clapping? We haven't been able to score many goals in 90 minutes. What makes you think we're going to score another two or three in 10 minutes? Um, so yeah, just an all-round poor performance. I thought, um, and I, I think what really highlights it is Wolves. That's Wolves' first win at Stamford Bridge in 45 years. Um, so really, uh, not a nice record that's been broken um, on uh, on Sunday. Um, but yeah, poor, 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 poor. Um, and I just feel like that's two two games in a row now that we've conceded four. So I think defensively, mm. um, we need to kind of improve. Our midfield just looks weak, getting past. Um, way too easily at times and um, the first time we lost at Stamford Bridge since Brent- Brentford and end of October so kind of a bit of a winning streak at, at Stamford Bridge has come to an end it was always going to come to an end but against Wolves you still expect us to get a result I think you predicted us to win I predicted us to draw 
and it was the complete opposite. It was an embarrassing defeat. So all round, probably one of the worst performances of the season. We're saying that a lot this season. Um, yeah. you know, thinking back to United, thinking back to Liverpool, uh, other Everything. games as well. Yeah, exactly. So um, in hindsight, looking back, I mean, to me, I think I said 1-0. I think we'd, we'd win 1-0, I think, or maybe 2-0. But to look back at how the bits that I did see of that game, um, yeah, I mean, we're just poor. We are, I've been saying this for, for nearly two seasons now, we are a mid-table performing team. And like you said, we can't sugarcoat how bad we are, how poor we are in terms of our execution on the ball, trying to get the ball forward in terms of our defensive duties as well. And I think I said last week, you know, you can't really pick out any standout players in that team who think, who you think we need them in that team. They have to be in the team. We can't, you know, you've got a team of players, you normally build your team around two or three of them or at least two of them are, are players that you want to at least ha always have in the team. You build around it and then you look at other areas of the team. We haven't even got that. We haven't got anyone in that team that is good enough to say, right, you are the person we're building this team around. Not that we haven't got them as good enough. They're just not playing to the level that we, we hoped they would. You know, you mentioned Caicedo, Enzo's another one. Um, I, I do give a bit of leeway to, to Chilwell and to maybe get Malagusto only because they're coming back from big injuries or returning injuries. So I do expect them to, to be a bit off pace, but still basic stuff that they're not doing in the game is still un, 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 is questionable. You know, you, you can't you can't account for that. So um, Wolves, yeah, 1979, I think was their last victory at Stamford Bridge, March, I believe. Um, what does, I mean, taking away from the game slightly, but what does this mean for Chelsea? I mean, we if we'd won that game, we would have been talking about maybe touching distance of the Europa Conference League's positions, maybe Europa League positions in a couple of weeks, had we gone on to beat, or if you know, we go and beat Crystal Palace. But we now find ourselves in the bottom half of the table. I think we're 11th currently at the moment uh, in the league. We are getting drawn into, I mean, there's obviously conversations still about relegations and all the rest of it, but what needs to change, man? What what's first of all, what's gone wrong? What what in your assessment has gone wrong from the moment? I mean, I don't know how far back you need to or want to go, but let's say from the takeover to now, what's gone wrong at Chelsea for us to be in the state that we're in? Uh, firstly, given how the performances have gone since the takeover, I think eleventh, tenth, ninth is what we are now. That's we are a mid-table team. So Chelsea fans just need to get need to get used to that. Every time we go on a bit of a winning run. We just know it's going to come to a halt and we're going to get these type of embarrassing defeats and then stay rooted into 10th spot. So Chelsea fans get used to that because that's where we're going to be, I think. Should we carry on playing like this and should our transfer strategy remain the same? Um, I think the big issue we've had and that's led to these downfalls is I did praise our transfer business um, last summer, getting rid of all those players, the likes of Havertz, Kovacic, Jorginho, Kante. Uh, Kepper, those players that won big, big wages and probably didn't want to be at the club anymore. You take them um, back in a heartbeat now, wouldn't you? <laughs> honestly, I'm, I'm I'm giving a bit of a nod right now. I I think I wouldn't take them back in a heartbeat, but I take their experience back. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You look at Kepper; he was, I think, our vice captain last season when Chiwell and uh, James were injured. Hmm. Um, you look at Loftus Cheek, a very experienced Premier League player, and he's doing absolute bits out in Syria right now with um, AC Milan. Um, so you take a player like that in a heartbeat, N'Golo Kante, a player that you just can't replace. And even if he's injured for half the season, the games that he does play, he's he's a workhorse. He will run across, he'll cover every blade of grass and we don't have that in Caicedo, Enzo, which kind of seen it at times with Gallagher, but it's just not to the same level as Kante. Yeah. So I think it's all good getting rid of those players on big, big wages and those players that maybe just didn't want to be there anymore, wanted a new challenge. But at the same time, you can't replace them with these 21-year-olds from Brazil, from from Ecuador, from Belgium or from wherever, wherever they come from and give them these eight-year contracts and expect them to hit the ground running because it's not going to happen like that. I read something recently that um, Boli and Egbali um, kind of saw this period where Klopp and Guardiola might slowly leave their teams as the opportunity for Chelsea to step up and be the new kind of leader in the Premier League. But it's not the case at all. Um, it completely isn't. So I think there's that. That's a big, big issue. And we've seen it a lot, this divide between the ownership and the fans. I, I don't blame the fans anymore. They've, the ownership, the owners have given us nothing to believe in this vision or project. 
they've sold a lot of players, the fans, the managers that come on board as well. Um, at the game on Sunday, they were chanting Roman Abramovich and then follow, quickly followed by F off Bodhi. With fucking shit yeah. as well was another one. I think. fucking shit, yeah. <laughs> so the, 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 the Wolves fans started chanting, um, you're fucking shit, you're fucking shit. And then the Chelsea fans joined in saying we're fucking shit, we're fucking shit. And that's what we are. We are fucking shit right now. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think all these issues and problems stem from the ownership, this, the, the lack of vision and project that's being shown, the transfer strategy, the lack of leaders and experience. You can see the goal back in the day under the two core, the Ancelotti, the Conte, the Mourinho days. You'd have the likes of Lampard, a Drogba, and Aspilicueta who would just get the team together, rally them on and thinking, okay, we've conceded, but we're still in this game. We can score. We conceded to Wolves. Every single one of the players just had their heads down and they just didn't know what to do. They were like headless chickens afterwards. Mm. That's the problem with this lack of experience and leadership. I keep saying it, I sound like a broken record, but when Silva leaves this summer, well, the second most experienced player is Sterling. And we've seen how shite he's been at times this season. <laughs> so there's a lot of problems, a lot of problems. And now I'm, I've just read as well, there's supposed it's, there's tension between Boli and Egbali as well. Yep. The two yep. of them aren't really seeing eye to eye like they used to. And these two guys are supposedly running our club. So there's a lot of issues. And then I think Boli as well, does he really care if Chelsea win or lose? No, he just cares about the money that goes into his pockets. Mm. And we've seen that countless occasions this season. He's hired this new um, Tottenham guy, another Todd. If one Todd wasn't enough, we've got another Todd now. And he's supposedly the commercial guy, the commercial guru who's going to come in and get us a deal for the naming rights of our stadium, give Bowley more money. You look at the, our training kits before kickoff and it's the, the logo is printed all over Stamford Bridge, but we've got, we're promoting a movie on our Argyle. kits. Yeah. Argyle. Mm. What's that about? I think Todd Bowley's got a, a link in there as well. I'm sure that the, a film production company. I don't know if he co-owns or he's got some sort of investment into that as well. I was reading. So it backs up your point about Bowley not really understanding yeah. results is the, the thing that you need to seriously focus on as a football club, as opposed to yes, commercial financial is a massive element of it. But if you're not doing it on the pitch, what you're doing off the pitch in effect is almost irrelevant because you know, theoretically you you're not going to get the same sort of financial gain if the results aren't coming in that's just the bottom line of it. it's a results business completely and one post out of four on our instagram is trying to sell the new kit yeah um and it's 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 just shocking and then you've got players in eight year contracts now that are coming out and saying that they're not they're not happy they've been sold this project and vision that now they no longer believe in so we've got these unhappy players and eight-year contracts that we're not going to be able to offload because of the length of that contract. So there's a huge amount of problems. And all these Chelsea fans on Twitter, Instagram, who record their videos outside Stanford Bridge saying Pochettino out, sack Pochettino. That's not the problem. Pochettino isn't the issue. And if you want to sack Pochettino, we said it in a couple episodes back, could you bring in, what's the solution? Do you get someone else on an interim? Then it's the same fucking shit in the summer where we've got a list of candidates that are going to come in with the same pile of shit mm. on these eight-year contracts and just and not be, not be able to get the results. It's going to be the same merry-go-round of uh, managerial issues. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think Pochettino is the problem. The problem is the way that the club is run from the top to the bottom. And if we sort out that and we get the right players in, in terms of experienced players, I keep saying experiences. You look at Liverpool being linked to players like Kimmich. Yeah. You look at Man United being linked to players like, uh, I don't know, maybe Cruz or Carvajal. I, that's not yeah. true, but these are the type of players that we should be looking at, experienced players that have that European pedigree and know what it means to win. Not players that have had six good months at Benfica or Shakhtar. That's not what it is. But that's what we're doing. No, you're right. That is exactly what we're doing. And we're, you know, I feel like we're, we're, we are really... You know, you've made some really good points, ones that we've definitely covered on here previously as well, that... You know, this isn't just a, I mean, I'm not saying Potticino isn't to, to blame at all. Cause I, I am one of those people that think he has to be held accountable, just like the players. But we, we have, I mean, I've said this before on here, you know, that for me getting rid of, and you this is, take this away from football as well. You can't just get rid of an infrastructure that's been in place for so long, rip it to shreds and not have a, a, a plan that you know is, is going to work. And this is what we're, we're almost trial and error as we're going along, you know, the last 18 months have been, just been trial and error. Let's hope and let's wait and see. Let's see what happens. Um, you know, losing someone like Petacek, who 
was probably one of the reasons why Tuchel probably left anyway or was relieved of his duties in the first place because both of those were working collaboratively so well together. Losing someone like Petacek, Marina Granaskaya, all these people that were, you know, working under Roman Abramovich for so long, to lose all of that, not just some of the players you mentioned as well, but to lose that structure that's yeah. above the club, above the players, above the fans, all the, all the rest of it. You know, the ones that are doing the day-to-day running of the club, to lose all of that and to bring in clowns, which is what we've done. You know, um, what's his name? Lawrence Stewart and Paul Wynne Stanley. I mean, two co-sporting, not just one, we've got two clowns. Well, two, not, 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 most clubs have one and they do a good job, but we've got two. So we should be ahead of the pack. We should be ahead of the race. We should be able to do a lot more because we've got two people doing one man's job or one person's job. It's ridiculous. How can we have two co-sporting directors and both of them are as, as bad as each other? It, 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 that's where, to me, the problem starts. And and for me, when things go bad, they go in hiding. And when things are well, you know, they want to take the, the, the praise, the accolades and everything else that comes with it. But they have to be held accountable because even to the point of, you know, Graham Potter being appointed and, you know, Egg Barley and, and, and Bowley have to take the responsibility for this as well. But they were appointed managers that clearly they wanted to fit a particular profile. They wanted to go in a, a particular direction with the club and it hasn't worked. And I don't know if it's stubbornness or whether it's just stupidity or naivety, whatever you want to call it, but you have to change direction sometimes. If something isn't working, you have to change direction whether we can do that after spending a billion pound and having so many players on eight year contracts and, uh, you know, FFP hanging over our heads at the moment. I don't know. You know, we clearly can't sack Potticino from what I've been reading because of FFP already. I think it would cost 10 to 12 million in that region to sack him, his coaching staff, his backroom staff as well. We'd be in the same boat. We shouldn't even be talking about sacking Potticino considering we've just paid off Graham Potter, who's still probably still getting paid, you know, um, financially from Chelsea or, you know, as we're recording. So you're right. Who did we bring in? Who could, who could come in? There probably, you know, there isn't a long list of, of, of candidates really. I think horribly, I've, I did look last night and deserve is top of that list in terms of betting purposes. Um, but I think even after that, there's not many real candidates that you would have a lot of faith in. Um, there has been talk about Jose, Jose Mourinho coming in on an interim basis, uh, very similar to what Frank Lampard did last season. Could you see him taking that role on an interim basis for the remainder of the season? Or, or, or do you think this is something we just need to stick with Potticino, get things right upstairs first and then give him the, you know, further time beyond then? I think, Things really, really need to be dire for us to sack Pochettino, especially as you mentioned, if we need to pay off the 10 million, 11 million to terminate his contract. Um, for FFP reasons, I think that's not really being assessed at the moment. So things really, really need to be uh, dire to do that. I can't see Mourinho coming in on an interim. I feel like his ego would only um, kind of allow him to be the permanent manager. I want to be able to be there beyond the summer to build his team. And I just can't also see Mourinho get along with this this ownership. Yeah, Mourinho will, will kind of tell you in the summer he want he wants this player, this player, this player, not a twenty year old from Benfica, not a nineteen year old from uh, Vasco da Gama. So, um, so yeah, I can't see that working out either. And then, uh, like you said, I just can't think of anyone else who I saw that Hansi Flick was at Stamford Bridge on yeah on um, on Sunday. He could maybe be a, a candidate. I know that his name has been linked in the past, but uh, Ruben Amarim from Sporting Lisbon, um, he's a very good coach. And I know that his name will resurface should we look for a new manager, Deserbi, um, even though I just can't, I would be completely against that. I feel like he's, his level is Brighton, just like how Potter's level was Brighton, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we've just got to stick with Pochettino and we've, these players just need a massive shake up. The one thing that does worry me, there seems to be a lot of tension around Cobham in the dressing room tension between Silva and Pochettino now is what I'm reading. Um, players on eight-year contracts are not happy. And sometimes the only way to solve that is to kind of have a change of manager, bring a new a new fresh face in and have that new kind of feel-good factor around the training ground, new manager bounce, as people call it. But in the, for me, my still my number one kind of 
goal would be to stick with Pochettino until the end of the season and just um, see how the season plans out. But I do agree that if things turn really, really dire, we may have to pull the trigger like we did with Potter come maybe March, April time. Do you think if we did that, um, we've probably missed the boat in terms of maybe recruiting? I mean, we look at some of the managers that potentially would be willing to come. Um, do you think if we if we lose tomorrow against Aston Villa, we lose Palace um, after that? I think I feel like we've got City coming up as well um, thereafter, and then obviously the final at Wembley. If we lose all four games for February. I mean, it, it, things. When you said before about things have to get really bad in terms of the sacking of Potticino, define. Could, could you define that? Is that is that really bad in terms yeah. of losing four games? You know, consistent, but you're back to back. I think really bad would be out of both cup competitions and remain kind of rooted to eleventh or tenth spot. In my opinion, that would be really really bad. And I think a defeat to Palace, a defeat to Villa, a defeat in the final to. Um, to Liverpool on the 25th of February could lead to that. So I want to say this is a make or break month for Pochettino. Yeah, definitely. We've got Jacko Cobben in the chat saying mid-table directors leading an ownership group that doesn't have a clue. Look at Strasbourg as well, which is a very good point. Um, Blue Co, which is um, the umbrella that sits over um, some clubs. I think they're trying to, I think that there's a club in Portugal that I think Blue Co is trying to obtain now as well. But um you look at Strasbourg as well. I mean, they haven't been happy with how their club's been run for, for, for some time now as well. And you, it didn't really impact Chelsea at the time. I remember reading certain things about Strasbourg and how they weren't happy and they had massive banners up at the, the stadium uh, pre-kickoff and, and during the game. But it seems like it's now fil- filtered down to Chelsea and we're now seeing what Strasbourg have been probably complaining or voicing their opinions over for for the, for some time now. Do you, do you feel that there is a, an element of possibility that maybe, not, I'm not saying boycott the games or not attending the games, but a further disruption, you know, to how people, I mean, you just said about the fan cams, which I'm dead against already, you know that already, but those fan cams being a bit more vocal in terms of their influence on other fans as well. Yeah, we know there's small little groups of Chelsea fans that are very influential and have big opinions that are shared across the fan base. And I saw signs of it on on Sunday at the game against Wolves that Chelsea fans, in fact, a lot of them, a huge portion of them left in the final 10, 15 minutes of the game. I feel like that could be a recurring theme. There were boos at halftime, boos at full-time, huge boos for um, Sterling when he he, he got um, substituted off. Um, I'm in the section I sit in now that I have a season ticket every time I see the same season ticket holders come again and again and again. And in the last few weeks, they're just not showing up. Those same people that I usually see every week, they're just not there anymore. So like you mentioned, boycotting the games or just not having the energy or kind of same desire to watch Chelsea. I think it could happen completely. Um, I know that our support away from home is always great. We always um, sell out all those away seats. So I'm sure at Villa Park tomorrow, those loyal Chelsea fans will be there. Um, but they need to make sure that, again, it just doesn't turn completely toxic. I can understand the booing. I can understand the frustration. But sometimes you just got to be behind your team through these kind of dark moments or these um, grey moments and just make sure that things don't turn completely toxic like these banners we're seeing at Strasbourg or other countries because I think that's something that Chelsea's never done. Um, I think the only time I saw a banner outside Stamford Bridge was when um, I think um, the ownership... The Super of, League, uh, I think, as well. Super League, yeah. yeah. Um, kind of how the circus keeps going or something like that mm. um, but yeah banners aren't really something we see often at Stamford Bridge and I really hope if I see one kind of like that with, the, with some kind of abuse to the ownership players and management um, I think that's really where I'm going to know that this club is heading in a bad direction You mentioned a good point around there being a, a possible issue between Thiago Silva and Potticino I don't know if you got to see the tweet that uh, was put out by Thiago Silva's wife after kickoff, um, full time, um, just simply read, it's time to change. If you wait any longer, it will be too late. It's definitely something that I think has ruffled a couple of feathers at not just Chelsea and Cobham, but between the fans as well. I'm not against it. I'll be honest. I'm not. I, I, I think I'll put a tweet out in response to that by saying it shows you how 
disjointed that team and the atmosphere must be for, I mean, she's done it before. She's, she's got past history. I'm sure she's done it with Potter as well. I think, or I think it was Potter or maybe two quarters, one of them. Um, but it shows how bad things must be in that dressing room for, for her to be able to put that out and it kind of ring true to an effect as well. But um, there's a lot of talk about the players not being um, happy. You know, they're wanting to, they go to training and they literally can't wait to get out of Cobham. They go home or they don't really have that sort of family environment that I know we spoke about here previously about, you know, doing things socially outside of football doesn't seem to happen anymore. I mean, for, for, for Bell Silver to come out and say that there must be some truth to a lot of disruption at that club. Yeah, I mean, she's a fan before anything else. You see her at Stanford Bridge, she's got a kit on, she's singing, she knows all the um, lyrics of the songs. So she's entitled to her opinion and she, she's allowed to tweet that. But being the wife of one of the players, well, I'm still going to call him the captain because I think that's what he is. He's still the captain on the pitch, in my opinion, even if he doesn't wear the armband, is quite um, telling of what's happening behind the scenes because I'm sure Tiago Silva is relaying information back to her, oh, yeah, criticising yeah. the manager, manager criticising the way the club is run. And then she goes kind of, she's quite vocal. She's quite wordy. So I'm sure she she then puts these type of tweets out. And if she tweeted that, it must mean there's something happening. And in fact, now there's kind of a bit of a rift between Silva and Pochettino. I read something that really upset Silva is apparently when we scored the fourth goal or the third goal against Tottenham back in November, Pochettino spent a good couple minutes almost telling off Thiago Silva for something he did previously. Um, and I feel that's apparently really upset Silva. And you can tell Silva... Every time I look at Chelsea and we're losing, I always look at Thiago Silva and you can just see how frustrated he is because mm. he's always been in teams that are used to winning, teams that are used to fighting. Whereas now he just feels like, even though he gives it 100% and he still gives it 100%, we saw that with his consolation goal against Wolves. He was still looking to score, still looking to to do something until the end. But if he's surrounded by 10 other players or a group of unmotivated players and a manager perhaps that doesn't have the same tactical um, ability as previous managers he's worked with, then he will get frustrated and he will share information like this to his wife and it will get leaked out. It was only a matter of time. So yeah, I think that was always going to happen. Um, it's a shame though, because I felt like their relationship in preseason looked really strong and it was all that kind of jokey, kind of Brazil-Argentina um, kind of rivalry, but that was put to bed quite quickly. Um, but yeah, it's a real shame that things had to kind of end like that between um, the manager and the captain, if it is true. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I, I'm sure he, the, the tweet that was put out was probably voiced by many other Chelsea fans. I think, you know, you could, you could, uh, you only have to go, I think the t- tweet's still up. And I think there is some sort of um, something that came out within the breeze to say that Chelsea hierarchy, the board were annoyed that the tweet was put out and it's still out and it's not been deleted. But like you said, she's a fan more than anything before anything else. And also as well, I think, you know, if there was something going on in anyone's workplace, I'm sure if I went home and I told my wife something, she'd probably want to back me as well. Or, you know, so I, I do get it. Maybe it's slightly different because of the, 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 the magnifying that's on the club and it's on the players and everything else. It's totally different, but um, I'm not against it. I'm really not. I think more of that needs to happen. I think we need to see more of that. And and it's, it's a telling factor of how bad things possibly are um, at Chelsea at the moment. But um, what about the other player who's been a bit, vocal on social media recently just about to get on to your favourite guy um, yeah M- Michaela Mudrick um, uh, no I mean I didn't I, I'm still trying to interpret whether the, I, I, I'd assume looking at the, the Instagram DM which is why someone sort of DM'd him a message and um, criticised his performance I think maybe after could have been after the Liverpool game I'm not sure which game it was after but it was after one a game a couple of weeks ago and any normal sportsman, anyone who's professional sports player, football or whatever, would probably either ignore the twi- the, the the DM, or yeah, you just you just block the person. You, you if you're not happy, you, you can't cope with DMs being sent to you. You probably have some an advisory who deals with your DMs or whatever. Anyway, he doesn't do that. He he basically offers out the person to have a one v one winner takes ten thousand pounds. I thought it was immature. I thought it was stupid. I thought it showed a, a lack of character from what he'd done. Um, and I did also say later on, he might actually lose the, the 10 grand because he's not that good of a, a player anyway. <laughs> so 
it's he it doesn't back himself that much. I mean, there's on how much, and he's only giving away ten grand. If he was that confident, you'd probably give up at least a hundred grand, wouldn't you? But um, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, is it one of those things that was maybe frustration after the game, or should he have just kept his mouth shut and just got on with his football and proved to whoever it was the next week or the next opportunity he gets to to play that he's actually a decent player? I think any footballer who's answering DMs in that manner is someone who's immature, who doesn't have the right discipline, the right attitude. The only times I've seen footballers answer DMs like that is when they're dealing with something that's racist like Zaha's done and he's yeah. called it out, which I think is completely acceptable. Or if there's a fan, for instance, that's needing of some kind of attention because they're, they're struggling with illness, their mental health, and a footballer reaches out to them for support, then that's acceptable. But what Mudrick's done here for me is, is baffling. It's absolutely baffling. It just shows his level of immaturity. Uh, it shows that he just hasn't had that right training. And he's just done it before. He's very kind of into his kind of himself on his social media, sharing all these cryptic quotes and um, stories, him in the gym all the time with some inspirational um, message or motivational me- uh, quotes alongside it. But this for me is just like, it's, it's crazy. I would, if I was Chelsea, I'd find him for that because mm. it's a bad image for the club as well. You've got a player that's offering £10,000 to kind of challenge someone in a game of skills. It doesn't really make sense. And he's a player that we signed for £80 million from Shakhtar the Nets after six decent months at Shakhtar. Mm. So I don't, and he's, we, he is very young. I'll give him the benefit of that. He is very young and he'll learn, but he needs to learn quickly now. He's at Chelsea Football Club, a European super club, I want to say, one of the biggest clubs in Europe in terms of the stature of the club not so yeah. much the performances at the moment and we've got a player like this who's answering fans in their dms no 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 no, no. and i've never i'm gonna i'm gonna say this i've never disliked a player at chelsea as much as mudrick currently right now oh that could be a, that could be a whole podcast in itself um currently right now i've currently, never disliked a player yeah. more than mudrick his his yeah. body language his attitude his motivation his discipline yeah. his he came with the miss he did against Liverpool and then he comes on at Stamford Bridge. He loses the ball countless times. He misplaces passes. Mm. And then he, Pochettino's completely right to say we kind of want the best team out there. We don't really tolerate mediocrity on the pitch. And that's what he is right now. He's average, he's yep. mediocre. And his level is at Chelsea. Mm. His level is in Chelsea. I know we've got him on an eight-year contract, but he needs to learn. If he, we still want to kind of believe in him and back him, he needs to learn. Next season, he needs to head out to... I'm not sure. I don't want to list a club because it might not be. It might be too high for his le- for <laughs> for his level. But maybe go go out to Wolfsburg. Go out to to um, to Toulouse in France. Just yeah. play your football there. Come back. Be more mature. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this player for me is never going to make it at Chelsea with this attitude. But it goes back to that point of we've signed a lot of potentials. We've signed so many players on his potential. Um, that they're going to perform or hit a certain level of of performance consistently that we, we might have actually just signed someone that had really good six months. You know, I look at Matoma for Brighton. I mean, he was pulling up trees last season at one point and, and I very rarely hear him as one of the best players. You know, he's being dubbed as the next best thing to leave Brighton. You know, I, have to, I don't hear about him anymore. So it's a worry that we've, we've signed so many of those sort of players that yes, they've had a really good time for six months or they've had a really good, um, in spell of games but if if they're not doing that consistently or we they're not proven at the very top level you know Champions Leagues and all the rest of it you know the, the European or the world stage as well it, it means counts for nothing because we've, we've brought in all these players that I think what we've done and this is this is the, the honest truth I think what we've done is we brought all these players in we know that within you know, the next eight years we're going to either re- we're going to sell them on for hopefully profit. That's what the owners want. They don't want players to come in and, and play in this team. They'll happily send some of them out on loan. Um, they'll probably sell some within the four years of their eight-year deals and see what they can cash in on them and, and hopefully they can do for the best. Um, Mudrick could be one of them. I, I generally don't see his best attributes in the game. I don't know what he offers when he comes on or when he starts the games as well. He just doesn't offer us anything. And... Even with his pace, you'd think he's got something else about him, but he doesn't even use that in the best way. You know, he'll, he'll use it and he'll run the ball out of play or he'll, he'll run out of space or he'll lose the ball, you know, lose his possession way too much. So I think for someone who's not playing very well at the moment or ha- since their time at Chelsea, for me to, to be offering anyone 10 grand, uh, he should keep it and get himself some 
1v1s with a, a top player that is willing to take the 10 grand off him and, and help his own football before he thinks about offering it to someone else because it was just a stupid thing to do. Um, and like you said, very naive and um, someone who loves the social media limelight. So he's got to focus on the football for me anyway, personally. I sent it in a voice note to my friend the other day, but um, Madrid embodies everything I hate about modern day football. Oh yeah. And if t- yeah. If TikTok was a footballer, it would be Madrek, in my he opinion. He must be on there. He's got to be on TikTok. Oh, definitely. Yeah, he posted all those cringy videos of him dancing in an NBA top and in Dubai or wherever. Yeah, it's just not a player that I feel like it shows the kind of downgrade of the type of players we used to sign and the type of players we're now signing. Yeah. But we're I'm signing these players in hype I'm not rather than that. kind of... I'm not against it. No. Because I like Benzema when he does it, but mm. there's a difference. Benzema's up here. And he does very well. And I love what he, I don't know if he still does it, but he used to sort of do really good TikToks or Instagrams or whatever. And his posts are amazing, but he can do that because he's proven to do it on the pitch as well. When you're playing shit on the pitch, I'll be honest, I wouldn't have social media. I just wouldn't have it because if I'm I'm playing shit, I can't, it's almost like when Julian Lescott had a really bad game, I think it was Aston Villa and then posted his new car and said that his phone done it in his pocket or something stupid. It's, it's that sort of mentality that I think we've signed for Mudrick. It's just, you can't do that. You can't do that. Yeah. But, but these players, like, they religiously look at their social media. Uh, you, I think I forgot which player it was now. I listened to a podcast, but you're going to change room at full time, oh. even before the manager is giving his team, to, like yeah, a post-match team talk, straight on their phones. And the proof is, when we post a story and we tag the players They're on it, soon really. after full time, they're viewing the story within seconds because yeah, yeah. they want to see like what the fans are thinking about their performances. They want to see the pictures that are being posted with the with them included in it. And Mudrick's one of those guys, I think, who's always on social media. And in fact, he's looking at his um, DM requests as well. Is very telling, mm. in my opinion. Um, exactly, because you can filter your settings so that only like verified accounts can DM you, or you know you don't get it if you're not following the person. But so there's things you can do to restrict idiots. Which the the guy was an idiot, to be fair, but he was right in the same same breath as well. So, yeah, I think he loves the attention. I think you're right. Yeah, and a lot of players now, and I see a lot when I tag players in our, on our Instagram posts when we do our predicted lineups and all of that, some of them have an option where they can't even be tagged. Yeah, 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 um, exactly, exactly, yeah. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of, like, social media training perhaps that needs to be done yeah. at the club, but that's an episode in itself. I don't think you can teach someone common sense if they haven't got any <laughs> sense to start off with in the first place. So, um before we move on, before we move on, I just I think the assessment so far is that, you know, things need to change upstairs. I think we're kind of both saying, I mean, I am still on the side of if we lose, you know, tomorrow against Villa, Palace, uh, I think it's City, isn't it, in the league, I think, after that. Um, then Liverpool, City away. Yeah, then Liverpool in the um, Carabao Cup final. If we lose all four of those, yeah, he has to go. And that isn't because I don't think Potticino is the is the all be, be all and end all reason as to why we're losing games. But he clearly has lost, for me, he's lost the dressing room. If all these briefs that are coming out are true and players are ha- unhappy and they they regret signing eight-year deals and you know players are leaving Cobham as soon as it hits, you know, end of training, he's lost the dressing room already. If Thiago Silva's wife is almost like the Grim Reaper, when she sounds like that tweet, like she did for Graham Potter, your you, you clock is starting, the game begins, you know, you haven't got long left. So he has to turn it around for me in, in the next four games and prove, you know, what he can do with the, with the team that he's got. You know, I'm not saying it's the best team, but to lose how we did against Wolves, it's, it's, it's unquestionable. Yeah. I've got no words for it. Yeah. To concede four at home to Wolves is embarrassing. And I think it'll be interesting to see if Pochettino now includes Silva in his lineup tomorrow. Um, oh yeah, he, he has could also move. He has to. Yeah, we especially if Colwell is still injured, we don't really have a choice, do we? He's got to. Even if Colwell's injured or not, Silva has to be in that team tomorrow. And I know that I'm going back on my word that he shouldn't be starting mm-hmm. every game, but I don't trust Tazazi, and I wouldn't trust Colwell and Tazazi as a, a as a, a centre back partnership. And and we're going to get onto our predicted lineups in a minute, but I think this is why we've had to. We both decided we're going to alter our teams, but um. Let's talk about the the game tomorrow, FA Cup replay that we really could do without, let's be honest. Um, what's your thoughts going into that? I mean, this is this is a game that we should be trying to win, but Villa have got a really good record at Villa Park. Um, 
and, and they do tend to give us a really good game there as well. So what's your thoughts going into it? Yeah, I do think we need to play our strongest 11, especially when we've got um, our next game. I think it's on Monday night against yeah. Palace. Um, so they'll have time to recover. Um, even the recovery at Chelsea, probably they, they just want to go straight home. They don't want to be doing time on the bike or in the, in the hydro tanks or swimming pools. They just want to be back home. So yeah. But um, but yeah, it's, it's a really important game. Like I said, if we can still go on a good cup run in the FA Cup, it could still salvage something for our season and make it from a shit season into a decent season. Yeah. Um, like, Spoke about with the Carabao Cup, it's it's still silverware. It's um, it's still the one of the oldest um, cup competitions in the world. So I think there's a lot of value in that tournament, and there's also a semi final at Wembley, perhaps, and a final at Wembley on the cards, which is always good for the fans. Um, but yeah, Villa, like you said, they've been fantastic. Um, and it's a game we could have maybe done without. There were opportunities in the the first um, the first game at Stamford Bridge uh, Friday a week ago, I believe. Um, well, we could have won it. I feel like. Like Emiliano Martinez pulled some great saves, and then yeah. in the second half, Villa could have won it. Where Petrovic pulled off some some brilliant saves, so it was very um, a very even game, very fifty fifty. I felt, um, but you just do think Villa will have the upper hand at Villa Park. Like you said, they got a fantastic record there. They got an amazing coach in Unai Emery, and also they've just come on the back end of a fan, a great win against Sheffield, where I think every football fan after that first half thought it was going to end maybe eight or nine nil. So they're going to be in red hot form. Um, coming into this game, um, if they start players like um, uh, Watkins, DRB, Leon Bailey, Douglas Louise, yep. they, you know, they're going to score goals and they're going to score, um, they're probably going to win it. So I'm not entirely confident. Um, but I think if these players want to show any kind of fire, um, fight, desire, also if they actually believe that they want to play for Pochettino and they want to help Pochettino secure his job, that this is the game they need to do it in. And if I think it'll be very telling by their bodily language, not just throughout the game, but in that first half as well. Um, so I think it's going to be quite interesting to see how that, how things plan out. Yeah. It's, um, it's like I said, you know, I think for me, Potticino, there's no excuses now. I think I said at the start of the season, you know, one game a week is probably perfect for Potticino to come in, understand, albeit yes, we've had injuries, but, to get some sort of structure and organisation back in this team, get them playing as well as we can be. And then obviously you, you integrate your injured players or you, you know, you take some players out or whatever, but you, your spine of your team, you shouldn't, you should understand that. Like I said, at the very start of this, you should have one or two key players that you want to build the team around and everything else should fall into place. And we, we still haven't got that. So this for me now is a big, big game. And I, I do agree that we should be, playing the strongest 11 because we don't have a game till Monday. Um, I mean, we, we didn't, you know, we, we should, we should be able to deal with one game a week with this squad. We have a, a relatively big squad, a half decent bench, um, a team that should be able to beat Wolves and should be able to cope with Aston Villa um, at Villa Park, regardless of their form. I do agree with you, you know, it worries me to think about Bailey, um, you know, Douglas Louise, Ollie Watkins, another one as well. I think their defense has been really good this season for Villa, but we should, we've got we've got we've got no choices but to leave everything on that pitch. Everything has to be de- dealt with on that pitch, and we we can't if we go one nil down, we can't let our heads drop. That's two games back to back. You mentioned it against Wolves. I said the same thing about Liverpool when we didn't get that penalty for Conor Gallagher. Heads dropped, morale changed, attitude changed. Can't allow that to happen. And one place you don't want to let that happen is Villa Park because the crowd is the 12th man. Um, you know, the, the very, very vocal uh, fans there, they, they make it loud, um, intimidating. So it isn't going to be an easy game at all. And um, yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting who you've gone for, which I already know, but for, for the listeners, um, which I'll put on the screen now. So if you just want to go through your eleven. Yeah, so you actually mentioned it on, on the previous recording prior to the Wolves game that a change of formation, I feel, was needed. And I kind of said I'd wait until after the Wolves game. And then now there's news coming out that Pochettino is considering a change of tactics and formation to kind of uh, switch things up. So I think this game, I think we might see the return of a back three with the, the full-backs, with the wing-backs. Um, um, so yeah, so I'm going with Petrovic as the keeper. Um, I think Sanchez is slowly coming back into training, but yep. I think um, he won't be fit. Um, there's no news about him being back in the squad anytime soon. So Petrovic, I've gone with a back three of Colwell, Silva and De Sassi. 
And this is only if Cole is fit. Yeah. He wasn't on the list of injuries prior to the Wolves game, but wasn't on the bench either, um, which was a bit odd, I thought. Um, so yeah, I think this is a game for him. If he's fit, he needs to start. And I don't trust Badger Shield quite yet. I don't think his head's quite with it, given the kind of series of mistakes he's made against Liverpool um, and then prior to Christmas, um, Wolves and Newcastle. And then my full-backs or wing-backs have gone with Gusto and Chilwell. I feel like they they offer a lot going forward. And we saw that at times against Wolves and they were struggling to track back. So I think it's this kind of this, this role could give them a bit more flexibility going um, further up the pitch. A double pivot in midfield of Gallagher and Enzo. I feel like Caicedo, sure, he was fantastic with that assist against Wolves. But I think other than that, he was probably one of the worst players on the pitch, I felt, against um, against Wolves. So he might need to be dropped. Um, and then I'm going to Chukumweka just ahead of them. Um, and then uh, Nkuku and um, Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. Now, I know that throwing three is very, very offensive, so it could kind of be switched. I think um, Chukumweka could maybe be, play a bit more deep and kind of allow um, Nkuku and Jackson um, more um, freedom up front. Or on the contrary, it could be two midfielders with a front three of Chukumweka and Kuku and Jackson with Nkuku and Chukumweka more as the wing type players. Um, I don't think I want to see Mudrick anywhere near that lineup. And I think Sterling after his performances against um, Liverpool and um, Wolves deserves to be dropped as well. Um, mm. So yeah, that's my thing 11. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, part of me does want to see three centre-backs and um, you know the win backs. I think that approach for me would be would be the best thing. I think if we can get that, we shouldn't have to. I, I think for me, the worry is if it doesn't work, and we don't utilize that space down the wings. I think that for me would say how much trouble we're actually in as a team. Because when you play free at the back and you have got the win backs, you have to be offensively better. You have to be able to get that ball in the box and then take your chances. So I think if we still can't do that and we're playing three centre-backs or we're still conceding four goals and we've got three centre-backs on the pitch, massive alarm bells would be ringing because we, we shouldn't be. We should not be conceding more than two goals because Silva now has that adapt um, the ad- added comfortable addition of another centre-back to play alongside as well. And also you have your two wing-backs that are also going to be filling in, doing their defensive duties also, as well as the attacking one. So for me, we should not be conceding four goals or even three goals. I don't want to see that. So um, I've gone for slightly different to you, um, only very slightly different. So I've gone for, for same as you, you know, the same formation, but I've just gone for Petrovic in goal, who I think for me, I'm still saying is our first choice, regardless of Sanchez, whether he comes back and when he comes back, I'd still continue. I know we let four goals in, but... You know, I think Petrovic shows me a bit more. Um, I, I'm still very hesitant to receive the ball to feet, but I think that will come with time when he gets com- more comfortable with his, his, his uh, defensive line. But I've gone for very, very exactly the same as you, Gusto, right back, Desar- right wing back, Dezazi, Silva and Cowell as my three centre-backs. If Again, if Cowell's fit, Ben Chilwell's left wing back, I have gone for I have gone for Enzo and Moises Caicedo as the double pivot, and the reason I've gone for that is because I think we have to play what we what we say is our strongest team. We still have to say Caicedo, albeit he didn't have a good game against Wolves, but he's still the partner to Enzo that you think will possibly continue to play that role throughout the remainder of the season. So I think I've gone for those two. I've gone for Conor Gallagher just ahead of them. Um, very harsh on Carnage Chukwemeka because I feel like he he does need a role to play in here, and obviously coming back to Aston Villa as well, a uh, team that he used to play for, I think would be would be um, you know really really good for him to to kind of get some more minutes and give a good performance for. But I think I can't see Conor Gallagher being dropped by Maurizio Pochettino or someone that he's clearly come out and said is you know one of his favoured players in the team. So I've gone for Conor Gallagher, and then I've gone up top. I've gone for Cole Palmer. And Christopher and Kunku. Yeah. Yeah. I've gone for those two only because I feel Cole Palm, obviously, you know, he, he's the one that at the moment, very informed, gives us options. I think could probably just play just behind then Kunku and leave a Kunku up top, or he could probably fill in and they could play, you know, two up front almost together with the two wing backs being exploited and, and, and try and give those balls into the box. But I just think we have to, 
I mean, Nicholas Jackson is a, a very good option, but I, again, I think I said last week or the week before, I always like a, a striker on the bench. I like an option of a striker on the bench in case you'd need that goal. And I think if we play Jackson and Nkunku, if we are in need of a goal and both of them or one of them gets injured, then we haven't really got anyone else we can sort of bring into that team for me personally. Maybe Washington, but he hasn't really played much game, uh, much games. So, you know, is he, is he really that good of a shout? Probably not. Um, but that's the, the lineup I've gone with. Um, I'd have to actually agree now. I just think when I created my lineup, I don't know why Palmer completely escaped my mind. The best I think when I was so far for us this season, <laughs> I know. I think when I when I was when I was putting the, when I was creating the lineup, the back three, I feel like I was I forgot how the kind of formation it threw would come me out. off. I'll be honest, it threw me it off this did. morning. It really did as well. Um, I was thinking, so yeah, how I think do I want Palmer, to line up my team? How do I want my formation to look? And I thought, well, maybe two up top would be the answer. I think I'd have to agree with your lineup then. Drop Chukweka and Adam Palmer. Um, so yeah. I think that would be my choice as well, actually, looking back. Yeah. And I do think Chukomeka does deserve, you know, some more minutes. But he's come back from a big injury as well. It's a massive game for him to come into. But I, I think he'll get minutes. I think if Pochettino, you know, the game's going in Pochettino's favour and, and, and we're winning, I think it would be good to give him game time, build him back up, hopefully give him more game time against Palace as well and just gradually build him back up because I think he's a really good addition to the squad. Someone that we, you know, we, we, we've got high expectations for. But um, as I say, that injury was massive. So I think to, to play him from the start would probably be, for me, would be a bit too much to ask of him. Um, but it'd be good to see him back at Villa Park as well. And could he even get on the score sheet against his old club, which would be a, a bit of a sweet moment for him as well. Yeah. And one thing that the Wolves game taught us as well is um, why did we learn out Brozier? Because as good as Nkuku's and, and is... Madsen as well. And Matson, as good as Nkuku is, he looked completely isolated as the striker, the number yeah. nine. Yeah. Whether that's his fault or the players around him, but it goes to show that we've got now Jackson as our only natural number nine with David Washington on the bench. But yeah, the Nkuku false nine experiment, I want to give it the benefit of the doubt because I think we will try it again a couple more times this season, especially if Jackson continues to, to underperform. But against Wolves, I, I could hardly remember and could be even touching the ball. Um, it's, it was kind of that type of game. Um, so yeah, I think that's annoying as well. Kind of our January business, the two players we loaned out, two players that would kind of walk into our team right now. But I think as well, um, <clears throat> kind of joined up to that is I think we, if we change our formation, I feel like we need to try and put the, the players that we want to hopefully see play the, the games more consistently in that team as well. Mm-hmm. So I think whether on Cuckoo's playing a nine or he plays a 10 or he plays a different role in the, in the formation, I think he has to be included. But I do agree with you from what I got to see and from what I was told after the game against Wolves, he didn't have the best of games. But I yeah. feel like maybe change of formation might help that. You know, as, as I say, with Could, the win, yeah. with the win backs, you'd think he might get a bit more service or there might be more pockets of space for him to get into. Might might just work in his favour slightly, but I think we can only, we've, we've trial and errored the whole 18 months under Todd Bowley and, and, you know, Graham Potter, Maurizio Pochettino. So why not continue with that and then just see how we get on with it. But I do think it'd be, um, it'd be good to see Nkunku, who for me, when he's got the ball as well, you know, um, he, he, he wants to, his aim is to score. And I like that about mm. him. Yeah, well, you kind of dismissed it because it was an embarrassing defeat to Liverpool, but his goal was actually really, really good. Very, very good in terms of the quickness of his feet to get that tight space as well. You think I think there's like two or three defenders around him, and he was quick to you know, trick him with the feet and straight straight into to goal. So we've been missing that. We've been missing someone with that, just a little bit of trickery, a little bit of spark to be able to do that. And you know, we we I, me personally, as I said, we need someone to build the team around. It could be him. It could be him. Yeah, honestly, I don't. We know. signed him in in the summer and. Like the game against Wolves on Sunday was only his second start for the club. The first one coming against Luton. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we need to see more of him. We need to build up his 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 game time, his match fitness, um, and we just need to avoid him getting injured again because he yeah. is that player that, that's, a um, that's uh, got a history of um, getting injured. So yeah, that's something we need to kind of keep a close eye on as well. That is actually a good point. It's shocking that he's only started two games for us and we've, we've, yeah. we've had him for the best part of, what, nine months? Yeah, it's just, I think this time last year it was pretty much announced by Fabrizio that we'd we'd signed them, I yep. believe. Yeah. So shocking, shocking stuff. But um <laughs> let's move on quickly before we wrap up to predictions uh for tomorrow's game. 
It's a it's a big one. I do. I, I can't remember who we get in the second round now. Uh, not in the second round, didn't it? It feels like the second round. Um, is it? Yeah. Is it? It's the winner of um, if we beat Villa, we have to say it's a big yeah, yeah. Uh, We play. We play the winner of Plymouth Leeds. That's I believe. It. I was trying to think who at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, yeah, it would be at home at Stamford Bridge or Villa Park. Not that it win. makes a difference. To be fair, let's be honest. I mean, we've been no. ten on the bounce. We were unbeaten, but um, and we played Plymouth. Was it? season before last I think yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. two two seasons ago we played them in a similar round of the FA Cup mm. and tight game we only beat them in extra time exactly. um, 2-1 yep. Alonso and Azpilicueta on the score sheet yep. and I believe Kepa saving a penalty in injury time as well he did yep. yeah it's a good game um, so yeah I mean predictions let's, let's, let's roll with it I think just Villa just looked too strong at the moment so I can't see us winning mm. um, I'm going to go 2-1 Aston Villa yeah I, I think I, I think we'll win one nil. I think we'll win one nil. Um, the reason I say that is because I think we, as I said before, we've got no excuses. If we're playing, we're playing um, a back 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 five. Ultimately, with the the two wing backs, I just can't see us not creating those chances. And also defensively, we have to be better. We have to be better as a defensive unit. We can't be leaking goals, being sloppy at the back, lapse of concentration. It can't happen. You know, we've got three centre-backs that should be able to deal with what, whichever formation Uno Emery goes with for Villa. But I'm going to go 1-0 again. Um, I'm not going to go for a scorer because it could be anyone. Um, likelihood it's going to be Palmer, but, um, or it should be Palmer. But yeah, you, I just want us to get through the next round. As I said, Pochettino for me has four games to save his, his, his managerial career at Chelsea, but you know, he, he has to get a result tomorrow for me. Quick look, question to end the podcast, but if Pochettino loses to, um, tomorrow to Villa, uh, doesn't get a result against Palace and probably loses to City, which is expected given the kind of levels in, um, in the squads, do you sack him? Before the League Cup final, no. would you wait afterwards? You, you'd, you'd have to, you'd have to wait because I, I feel, uh, isn't that what happened at? Oh, that was Mourinho at Spurs. Was Mourinho, it? and he was saying it's his biggest regret was being not not being not given the League Cup final. Didn't they give yeah. it to? Um, was it Ryan? Mason? Ryan Mason. Yeah, I think they, they only lost that game one 0 Yeah, but when they, they didn't look too shabby. With Jose in charge, they would have won that. They would have had a, a, a trophy. I'm, I'm sure of it. But um, no, I think you've got to keep Potticino in for the remainder of this month. I think he has to be. You know, he's worked his way through. Um, some difficult games in in the Carabao Cup to get to the to the final. I think it's only right you keep him there. Should we go on to lose that, especially if we lose in an embarrassing fashion as well against Liverpool, then I think his time for me would be would be done. Um, I'm not saying. I, I think I said again last week. I'm not saying that him winning the Carabao Cup would be for me. Let's give him the job for the remainder of his contract. I feel that if we can win that Carabao Cup, it's a massive stepping stone to then go and build for you know, the next couple of months, summer months as well, um, you know, pre- have a good pre-season and then kickstart next season. But what about you? Would you? Would no, you I, I mean, I, yeah, I'm in agreement. I'd give him the rest of the month um, and I actually secured my ticket to Wembley over the weekends. And I'm still hoping yeah. to see Pochettino in the dugout yeah. um, and Wembley. And also you do wonder how quickly do we be able to get replacement in? Should we, should we fire him? I don't and think they we might. Would. We probably wouldn't. It'll be another kind of Bruno Salter situation where yeah. we get someone for like a couple of weeks, perhaps caretaker until we find a replacement. So yeah, it wouldn't make sense. I think the timing of it wouldn't make sense. I think he's going to be given at least the whole of February. Yeah. I think it would mess up the team team morale even more. I think if we sat him before the final, um, you know, someone else would probably come in. They'd rip again. You know, all the planning and preparation that they'd probably be doing in the next couple of weeks for that final. To bring someone else in so short for me would be I would automatically think by default we're going to lose that game. So, um, mm. so yeah, I would keep him, but he's got he's got to win all four. I don't. He, he, I know it's a big ask. I still want a, a good win and a good performance against City Palace on Monday will, will be difficult, but I, I want us to go and win there as well. Uh, yeah. and, and like you said, the final for me, it's a it's a it's a gamble. Whoever wants it more on the, on the day. So, you know, Liverpool yes are playing better football, but we've proven before. You know, we took them to penalties twice in one season. We can we can do it again. Definitely, I think the Crystal Palace game for me is almost bigger than this Villa one. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm sure we'll do an episode before that. But yeah, two. I think the two game or two or three or four next games. 
Pochettino. Massive, absolutely massive. Yeah, definitely, definitely, 100%. Let us know what you think in the comments. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the channel and also hit that link tree link in the description that will take you to the social accounts. So give those a follow as well. Theo, as always, thank you very much. Been a pleasure as always. Um, and yeah, we'll be back next uh, next week, I think now, or maybe later on this week, actually. You might get two episodes in one week. Um, we'll be back hopefully soon with another episode. Thanks for listening or watching. Um, enjoy the rest of your week.